knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Tethered Nation, you guys have heard me talk about the saddle setup, tethered saddle setup, their Predator platform. For quite some time, this is the second full season that I've used it. Um, I've killed out of it twice now, uh, and really what it has helped me do, I figured instead of, you know, I've given you guys specs, the weight, how light it is, bulky free that it is, and so on and so forth, but I thought today I would give you a little bit of a testimonial. Um, as, you know, I will credit, you know, and, and there's been a lot of people who've had a lot of influence on how I've started to hunt and how I've kind of evolved as a hunter, but I would say there's been no piece of equipment that's been more instrumental in me making that evolution than Tethered's saddle setups. Um, the reason I say that is, is that, you know, I'm a guy that works like a normal job, like everybody else out there. And so when I go on hunting trips or I'm hunting, you know, I have a limited time to get, to get stuff done. Um, you know, so I typically want to hunt more aggressively and that's something I've challenged myself with the past, you know, year and a half was to just, you know, to be more aggressive and don't lay back. Um, and the saddle setup has really helped me do that because I've spent much more time with boots on the ground scouting than I ever have in years, years past. And that's really because, I'm not carrying a bunch of bulky stuff into the into the timber with me. And so I don't mind. It's not a hindrance to carry my saddle setup. And that way, when I find fresh sun, I can get into the tree and I don't have to leave and come back and drop scent. You know, if once I see it, I'm in the tree hunting it. I'm not finding it, setting up a stand, taking the time to do that, then leaving and coming back and hunting it the next day. I'm literally getting into the tree and hunting it at that moment. And I can't say that if I was using any other setup other than a saddle setup, specifically tethered gear, that I would be making the same strides I'm making now and becoming a more aggressive and a more mobile hunter. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you want to challenge yourself to be more mobile, more aggressive, and go find deer instead of letting the deer find you, then I would suggest that you go to tetherednation.com and check out all their saddle gear. I guarantee you if you get into it, you won't be disappointed uh, and you'll probably become an addict like me. Skull Brew Coffee Company. Everyone loves coffee and with that, Skull Brew is celebrating Black Friday and Cyber Monday to help you fuel your holiday season. Now through December 6th, you can buy one bag of any Skull Brew coffee and get the second bag for 25% off. Coffee makes a killer Christmas gift and one-ups your relatives because this gift that you're giving is donating to conservation. Or you can just drink the coffee yourself and re-gift those tidy whities your grandma gave you last year. We won't tell. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and use the promo code HOLIDAY19 at checkout and fuel your holiday with Skull Brew Coffee and know that you're supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 155. Today I'm joined by my buddy Dan Envault, the big buck serial killer, to talk about our recent misses, failures, and perseverance. So stay tuned. 
All right, all right, all right. Happy Wednesday to all of you. And uh, if you didn't hear it in the past podcast, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope everyone had a, had a good holiday, got a little time off from the J-O-B. And if you were maybe so fortunate, uh, maybe spend just a little bit of time out in the uh, out in the timber. Uh, I actually had a had a had a pretty good holiday weekend. I was able to spend a little bit of time with my dad uh, out in the timber. It's been, I think I mentioned it before. I want to say it's been <clears throat> at least seventeen years. It might be close to nineteen years. It's crazy to say that uh, since he and I actually were able to uh, do a hunt together. Um, and with Pennsylvania's rifle season coming in. On Saturday this year versus uh, its historical, you know, Monday uh, season opener, uh, my dad was able to come up from the Carolinas because he didn't make it up for Thanksgiving because he was just up the weekend before, and uh, he usually comes up over Christmas. And so uh, we both happened to be in town at the same time this past weekend because he was coming up to hunt uh, deer and bear because I think I believe it was its first time this year that bear seasons in during in during deer season. So he was coming up to kind of get a twofer. And I was going to be back home near our family property, uh, visiting the rest of my wife and I's family for the holiday. And uh, it just was convenient that we were both there. And I was planning to go down there and hunt uh, with my bow, um, given that there wasn't going to be anyone at the property. And uh, and I would have the place somewhat to myself. And then he had mentioned he was going. So I was like, great, you know, we'll be able to do a hunt together. So that's exactly what I did. Um, for the rifle opener, I took my bow out. Uh, it was a pretty good day. Um, you know, I saw. I only got to hunt the morning because we were getting some bad weather coming in. We had to, uh, we had to beat feet on out of our hometown uh, to to beat the weather back to the suburbs of Philadelphia. So I basically just hunted the morning until about eleven o'clock. Um, got into a good tree where I thought I might have an opportunity. Saw ten deer, um, and uh, they were a handful of them were within within bow range, uh, but no bucks. Uh, but it was still cool. I got to watch them kind of mingle. I just I don't know. This year's was one of those years where. You know, when I see deer, I'm just, uh, I don't know if it's more appreciative, but I'm just more observant, um, probably than I've been in years past. And so it was cool just to kind of watch them. They hung around for probably 10 minutes and milled around eating. And it was just kind of cool to, you know, observe deer behavior, which is always helpful. Um, you know, you file some learnings away, you know, for, uh, for future hunts when you can just kind of watch them, how they interact with each other and, you know, how they're, you know, when they hear something, when they're, when they're targeting, if they're relaxed, if they're not relaxed, you can kind of clearly pick out who the, who the old, uh, the old doe of the family was. Cause she was the one who was standing on high alert the entire time. Um, you know, she was, she was calm, but she was definitely alert. So it's, it's always just kind of interesting to kind of watch deer do, do deer things. And that's what I was able to do this past week. And my dad, on the other hand, um, I think that happened right around, Oh, I don't know. Seven thirty, maybe. I saw that group of deer. It was ten of them that kind of came through. A big, big doe family. It may have been two doe families that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, ended up gelling together at some point during the season or something. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, my dad was sitting, you know, down the ridge from me a little bit. I basically told him to pick where he wanted to go, and then I would, uh, I would set up somewhere else to, as to not, you know, mess up his hunt or whatever, since he doesn't get to come up very often. Um, and this was actually my first hunt on the family property this year at all. I hadn't made it back at all. And, uh, he got into a stand, uh, with his gun and, uh, by eight 30, he had texted me. He saw, um, saw a really good deer. Um, just couldn't get a shot. It was behind some brush and he just wasn't able to get his crosshairs on, on, on the animal for a, for an ethical shot. So he, so he let it go. <clears throat> and so when I came out of the woods around 11 o'clock, he wanted to see me before I left. So I told him I'd be getting back to the truck between like 11 and 12 
to, to pull out. And so he came out at the same time just to kind of see me off. And I asked him if, you know, if he got a good look at it. He said, yeah, it was a good deer. And uh, I had yet to pull. The last time I checked trail cameras <clears throat> on this property was J- July, I think, 22nd, 23rd, something like that. And there was one decent deer uh, that I had seen the previous year on camera. Um, he was just a big, wide six last year. This year, he turned into a big, wide, tall seven. I mean, if he had additional points, he'd be a really, really good deer. Uh, he has all the makings to be a good deer. Just uh, I don't know that he's ever going to put on enough points to be, um, you know, to, to score much. Um, but, you know, this year he's probably three and a half, I, I believe, is what I would age him at. And so I had assumed by his description that that was the deer that he was talking about, um, which would been which would been a great deer for that property. Um, you know, so I did have a camera that was nearby where I hung my saddle. And the plan was, was to hunt there because it was near a, a scrape and a known area that, you know, I had seen bucks in last year when I hunted it for three days. Um, and my plan was, was to try to slip into this spot and maybe catch a buck cruising here during the, during the late rut, trying to catch those second round of does that were, that were coming in, you know, here around that Thanksgiving beginning of December timeframe. And so that was really my, my plan and my thinking. And, uh, and then the, you know, whatever happened during the hunt happened. And then my plan was to get down and I had a camera that wasn't too far away from there. And I wouldn't mess up my dad's hunt if I went and grabbed that camera. And so I thought, you know what, I'll just go snag that camera. Batteries might be dead anyway. Cause I hadn't put new batteries in it in a while. And, uh, I'll check and see what's on there. So I pulled that camera and got back to the truck after dad and I talked and he told me what he had seen. And, uh, he said that that buck went back into this pine thicket and he was with a doe, which was cool. You know, that, you know, there was a little bit of secondary rut action. It looks like on that property. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he doesn't hunt mobile. Cause my suggestion was, was to try to get in, um, was try to get in near that pine thicket. Cause I doubt that they were, they were going to move or set up between that pine thicket. And then the, um, the food plot that we had, cause I'd planted oats in that, uh, as a, as a secondary crop for the, for the fall and the winter. And I was like, that's probably where they're going to head to, you know, whenever, when we get toward toward the evening. But unfortunately, he didn't bring his climber or anything, and he was just kind of sitting in a, he was sitting in a, uh, a permanent location that we had set up on the property, and uh, and so when I got back to my truck, we were leaving, and I, you know, got my phone adapter out and started looking through pictures just to kind of see. And I always go to like to the back to like the last, you know, the, the date that I pulled the camera because I basically, you know, I'll look at all the images to see what has transpired throughout the course of the season, but I'm really more interested in what has happened most recently, you know, because that's most most relevant. And when I started flipping through, I got to like, I think it was like the second week in November. Like, so, you know, uh, yeah, it was like 20 days ago, actually. So it would have been 20 days from, you know, the 30th, I guess, of um, of November. So it had been like around the 10th of of uh, November. And, uh, and there was a real good deer that had uh, hit the, um, hit, that hit a scrape along this, uh, logging road, which is where I was kind of set up to hunt that day, um, or to hunt yesterday. And, uh, he hit that, he hit that scrape, he hit a licking branch and he was a really good deer. Um, looks like he's probably a four year old. He's probably Pope and young. So for, for this area in Pennsylvania, you know, having a Pope and young deer on the property is good. He might be a little over Pope, uh, but he's a good deer. So I ran over to my dad cause he was still sitting in his truck. Um, I think he sent an email or something and I walked over and I just said, Hey, is this the deer you saw? And he said, yeah. So he saw a really good deer. He saw a shooter. Um, there's a good one on the property. 
And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe he'll make it through gun season and make it to next year. I might try to get back there over Christmas when we go back to visit family for the holidays. Um, I might try to go hunt that late season and see if I can get on him. Now, I have a couple other cameras on this property I haven't checked. Um, and I didn't check them yesterday because I didn't want to mess dad's hunt up. So I'll probably pull those uh, around the Christmas time as well. And then what I'm really interested to see is if he's on any other cameras. Because <clears throat> this camera was located in an area where I, it, you know, I always get buck pictures on one particular camera and so i went north of that camera because they always come from the north to the south is how i always usually get them traveling so this camera was placed in that location specifically because i thought the bigger deer on the property would probably pass this camera so i'm interested to see if he was just hitting that camera as you know uh rut hit you know and then he's only hanging out on the property during rut and post rut or you know secondary rut and then does he split afterwards because i had zero pictures of him during the summer anywhere um, so I feel like he just kind of, you know, transitions to our property during rut and, uh, it's part of his, you know, part of his range during that time, uh, that time of the year. Um, and who knows, you know, if I were to guess, I would guess he probably transitions back off the property once late season comes, because I imagine he would likely go back to his, his summer, his summer feeding bedding, bedding pattern would be my guess. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe he'll stick around and maybe I'll get an opportunity, um, to, to hunt hunt him so i'll give it a whirl probably this uh this winter and uh and, and see what happens but that's really the update for from a deer hunting perspective just re- really just got that one day of hunting in or half a day of hunting really um as you know i got back from iowa and i've really just been kind of trying to get back in the groove of, of, of work and then of course we have the holiday and head to holiday and stuff like that so plan will be to get back more often uh get out you know back out more often here as uh, as the week's kind of move through December. I'll definitely be getting out next weekend and then it'll be the late season kind of, uh, kind of push. I'm kind of teetering on the fence as to how much I'm going to hunt known areas or how much I'm going to scout slash hunt because there's some bigger pieces that I want to try to get boots on the ground this year, uh, bigger pieces of public. And so I'm considering not fully eating my tag or giving up on the season at this point, but really shifting my focus on trying to figure out these larger pieces for next year and hunting them for this year at the same time. So, um, cause most of my hunting of course is done earlier in the year because I always take a rut trip somewhere. So, you know, that late season, you know, learnings that I could get this year on a new piece would probably help me, you know, a good bit next September and the beginning of October, which is really when I have the most time in Pennsylvania to hunt before I leave to take a, take a trip. And next year it'll be back to, uh, Ohio with my, my buddy, Chad Sylvester. So that's the plan already making plans for next year. But, uh, We'll get moving on to the show today. Have a really cool show today. Um, you know him, you love him. He's the hunting beast, uh, Mr. Dan Enfalt. Uh, I've had him on a couple times. We've done a couple different shows with him. We did a DIY report mini series last year with him about hunting the wind in different train features uh, or in different habitat. If you haven't listened to that, I would definitely go back and check all those out. It's like getting a master's class on hunting the wind. Um, also did a long form podcast with him, you know man early on in, on in our podcast life i think it was episode number 16 he was on um that one we just cover a ton of hunting strategy and all the things you would you know think you would hear from dan as far as like you know what he's known for um hunting aggressively being mobile all those things and how he tears apart a piece hunting public land all that stuff this episode we did something a little bit different 
mainly because you know Dan's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to hunting strategy and tactics. But that those things with him have been pretty well covered and, and documented. There's you know he has his podcast, he has a YouTube channel uh, that you should definitely check out if you've not checked out. He's of course been on a ton of different podcasts talking about a lot of the same things. Um, the one thing that struck me though was while I was in Iowa and I documented this and talked about this to the nth degree was I had some tough hunts where I missed some good deer and um, you know kind of got me down in the dumps a little bit and it was a little bit of a challenge. And there was, you know, some mental things that were going on there as well, as far as, you know, pressures and stuff like that you put on yourself, especially when you have a, a hunting podcast, you know, you maybe think that you're going to be <laughs> receiving more criticism than maybe than the usual person because of the platform, you know, for, for missing or failing or whatever the case is. And it just so happened that at the same time I was messaging Dan about it and he had missed as well. He had missed two deer. Um, that same week, I think if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I reached out to him and I just said, Hey, you know, I think maybe we should do a podcast on misses, failures and things of that nature, because, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of undue pressure on themselves. Like first and foremost, bow hunting's not easy. It's hard. Um, there's a lot of things at play. Um, there's a lot of decisions that have to get made really quickly in that moment of truth, whenever you're going to take a shot. Um, and then there's a lot of small things that can go wrong that are somewhat out of your control. Does the deer, does the deer jump the string? Does, does the deer slightly move as you're getting ready to release your shot? Um, is there a small piece of brush in the way that with the lighting of the day that you didn't see that, you know, changed the trajectory of your arrow, you know, and it's, these aren't mistakes that you made because you don't care. Uh, these are just mistakes that you kind of chalk up the bow hunting. And then in my case, the first deer that I missed in Iowa, the first time I missed and and I've been, you know, honest about this it was you know chalk it up to buck fever you know that was the biggest deer i ever drew back on and i'd be lying if i told you that it didn't have me a little shook up you know and i even mentioned that in the original podcast um and i wanted to have someone on i know i've talked about my misses and stuff like that but i wanted to have someone on who the entire hunting community respects and sees as you know an apex predator in the whitetail hunting world um you know, Dan, by all accounts, is a guy who people know is, you know, if he has a deer in his targets or in his sights, you know, that deer's days are pretty much numbered, you know, you can bet. Um, and that's how people think of him. And I think, I think they're accurate. I think they're right. You know, he's, he's able to get on deer and when he finds a deer he wants to kill, there's not much that's going to stop him from, from making that happen. But, you know, even, even guys who, you know, we look at as, you know, the best of the best that get to get the job done consistently, you know, still miss and still fail and still have trials and tribulations during the course of their hunting season. They're no different than anybody else. And I think Dan put it well in a post that he made and he, he mentions it here during this podcast and talking about just how, how hard we are on one another. And I doubt it's anybody who listens to this show. Um, but there's plenty of hunters out there that, you know, dog people out for the size of deer they shoot or for missing or, or for, or for, you know, executing a shot and the shot ends up being bad or too far back or, you know, being guts or hitting the guts or whatever it is, you know, these are all things that happen, you know, and I think and you always hear the cliche. It's like, if you've not lost a deer or you've not hit a deer bad, then you just haven't, or you haven't missed one. It's like, you just haven't been doing this long enough. Um, which is true. It doesn't make you feel any better, but you know, I think, you know, we're unnecessarily hard on one another when it comes to our failures and stuff like that. And those failures are tough enough to handle and stomach in many cases, without the add-on of, uh, of people dogging you out. And so what Dan and I did in this, in this show is really kind of talk about the failures that we had, um, you know, how they kind of came about, how we try to mitigate them, you know, what we do to try to 
get better and learn from them. And then we talk a little bit about about how, you know, hunting maybe can help you be, you know, a better person whenever you are striving to, you know, overcome obstacles and stuff like that, how there's some life lessons that we can take from these things that you know, not just apply to hunting, but can apply to everyday, um, you know, everyday usefulness, whether it's in your family life, work life, you know, whatever the case might be. So with that, have a really cool show today. Not going to drag this uh, up front out any longer than I've al- than I already have. We'll just kind of get right to it. And uh, as always, thank you all for listening. And let's talk with Mr. Dan Enfall. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, uh, I've got a, a special guest on. I've had him on a couple different times. We all know him. We love him. It's the big buck serial killer coming from the great state, the cheesehead state of Wisconsin, Mr. Dan Enfall. What's going on, buddy? Hey, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. I know, man. It's been it's been a little while. I've been uh I've been peeping what you've been up to, man. It's uh you I think it's been uh just about a year since you've been on. What's uh what's new and exciting in the in the world of Dan Enfalt in the year? I know you launched the B sticks, that those are out and uh people are clamoring for those. Uh what else you been what what else you have going on? Uh that's that's the big thing. I mean, it's working on the tree stands and sticks and Man, I see big things in the horizon. Everybody's loving them. We can't keep up with them, and I think that should be uh, pretty good for me. Yeah, yeah, man. I know a couple of my buddies. Uh, every time I literally got on the one day, and I was—I feel like I was probably like thirty seconds late. <laughs> it was like it was—it was shut down. I was like, "You got to be kidding!" I literally set a timer to go off, and I had a meeting at work, and I literally ran out of the meeting to get to my desk to try to place an order, but just didn't quite uh, make it into the wire. What I'm hoping for is, I know a. Uh, I know our mutual friend Chad Sylvester picks some up, so I know we're going to be doing some hunting together here in the not so distant future. I'm hoping maybe they make it the way of the back of my truck and he forgets about them. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah, we uh we had like 700 of them last batch. I think they sold out in 14 minutes. Wow, man, it's that, insane. That, that's insane. awesome, man. Well, hey, man, that just goes to prove you know you make a good product, right? It's like people will be willing to, you know, be willing to pay for it. Right. If it performs, right. Like that's the, yeah. the end all be all people spend plenty of bad money on bad things. It's like when you give them something that's actually useful and going to work and do what it's supposed to do, it's, they don't mind waiting for it and, and supporting the, supporting the, the little guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, you know, I guess I'll set the premise for the today's show because a lot of times people are probably expecting, and we might get into a little bit of this, but, you know, a lot of times when we have you on and you've done podcasts, it's like we get into a lot of strategy and tactics and, and stuff like that. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, and uh, we'll get into the, the meat of the topic. But what what Dan and I want to do today is we kind of had a, a similar experience over the past couple of weeks that I've kind of recognized through social. And, um, you know, I, I chronicled the the two misses that I had while I was in eye hunting public. And, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle those couple of weeks I managed to get it done at the end, but it was, it was a rough, you know, road, to, road to hoe. Um, and then unbeknownst to me, I was kind of following social and, and noticed that, you know, uh, Dan, you had, you had some similar struggles. Um, and it just kind of made me stop and think about the idea that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about hunting, we kind of celebrate our successes, right? And um, a lot of times we don't get into the nitty gritty of, of what uh, the failures that we have, right? And I think a lot of times people want to pose and posture up like there, there aren't any failures along the way um, because it makes them look like less of a hunter where I kind of think the inverse. I think those failures are the places and the opportunities where you build, where you build upon. So that's going to be kind of the premise of our show. First, before we lead into that, I wanted to ask you, 
you know, I followed you on, or followed all the guys really on the public land challenge. You know, and I think this kind of can play into the idea of like failures, misses, opportunities, and so forth. You know, what was your take and just in general high level, you know, of like Michigan public public land? You, you hear horror stories about the pressure and and so on and so forth. What was your kind of two cents or your takeaway from your experience there? Well, for me, going into it was uh, I was kind of I had mixed feelings because. Um, I was hearing things from all different kinds of people, you know, some people I trusted real well on both ends of it were telling me that, um, it's a nightmare stage. You're never going to get on a big buck. There's, you know, there's millions of hunters. There's nothing overlooked. And some were even telling me to the point where it's scary. If you're from an out of state, you're going to get attacked. And, and then I had the other spectrum of people telling me it's a great state to hunt. Don't believe the stuff you're hearing. I kill big bucks all the time. Right. Right. So I didn't know what to think going into that, but, um, when I got there, what I found is it wasn't really much different than the area I hunt back home. Mm-hmm. I think the genetics, um, the bucks are a little smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could uh, I could shoot a two-year-old on film here and have it score 130. Right. And the same two-year-old over there will score 60. Right. And uh, the viewers won't know the difference between the age, and they'll think that I'm a better hunter for the one I shot here than over there. Right. It's kind of weird. But uh, the biggest thing I saw was the um, numbers of deer. Right. And there were deer everywhere there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the one hunt, would we pass like 25 deer? <laughs> Man. I mean, I, I don't have hunts like that back home. I don't have that those kind of numbers. Right. And uh, the pressure was not what people made it out to be. It wasn't much different than hunting here. Really? I get in public around home, and, and uh, there's as much, if not more, pressure here than what I was seeing in that area of Michigan. We were hunting uh, central Michigan, Michigan, and I traveled over to... Uh, Eastern Michigan a little bit, Eastern Central, like down by the bottom of the thumb. Right. But, uh, um, and in the Central. And I didn't see that heavy pressure that people put it out. Don't, don't take that wrong. There's pressure and right. a lot of pressure in comparison to something like maybe Iowa or something. Right. But it wasn't much different than back home. That's interesting. You know, but, but everything's different. I mean, in Wisconsin, where I'm hunting back, you know, I'm right in between Milwaukee and Madison. I've got big towns and cities right around me, like a town and everybody hunts. Right. So the little properties around here that are public really do get pounded where if you get into western Wisconsin then it gets a lot like Iowa where there's not a lot of pressure, you know. Right. right. So it's all relative, you know. But right. those are my takeaways from Michigan. All right. I have something similar like to where, you know, I, I live around Philadelphia, right? And so, you know, people don't think of it being a big hunting area. But when you get out into the suburbs and kind of, you know, further north, you get into some farmland and stuff like that. And they're not big parcels. And we have some public land, but they're smaller parcels. And there's a fair amount of hunters that are around here because most everyone that lives out in the burbs where I live are all transplants from somewhere else that moved closer to the city to be able to get into work for better jobs. You know what I mean? So they're not mm-hmm. from here per se. Um, and so it definitely gets pounded. Now I have a similar experience where it's, if I go back home, which is in the Western part of the state where people own more land, there's larger tracts of land, the pieces of public are larger. Um, you start to get in, well, especially when you get out in like the Allegheny mountains and stuff like that. I mean, there's some really good deer and they have a really good age structure. I mean, I know there's a guy that Chad and those guys had on, uh, I forget his name now, uh, uh Chad Sylvester and those guys had them on uh, their podcast and uh, he's regularly getting on, you know, 150s, 160s, and, you know, somewhat frequently, you know, Booners in Pennsylvania, in, in the Allegheny Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's rugged country. It's harder to get to. Um, it's not as populated in that area, so you just don't quite have the pressure. 
um, you know, which is, you know, all kind of ripe, as you know, to, you know, let deer age and get the right age structure to where you start seeing those, you know, better bucks to, to, to get after. But uh, was there anything, you know, was there anything that you learned on that trip, you know, to Michigan or maybe that you found that was a little unexpected? Uh, one, one thing that was um, uh, probably a little different for like your, your listeners was that uh, uh, I was told that, um, man, they're in the inch ground. It doesn't get hunted there. Everybody can shoot two bucks, you know, and all that stuff. And I found it to be just the opposite. There was a lot of overlooked stuff. Hmm. A lot of that, uh, you know, dating the fat chick kind of tree stand, <laughs> those little holes along the road. Right. Yeah. Because those guys, and, and here's my theory on it. No, obviously it's a theory, but those guys who leave tree stands up, we can't. Right. So when we go into the woods, we got to take our tree stand in with us, take it out with us. Mm-hmm. And if you come out without a tree stand, the warden's going to be asking you, where were you hunting? How were you hunting? You know, right. kind of thing. Right. But, um, so people just aren't leaving tree stands up here. I mean, there's a few people that do it, um, illegally, but I mean, they're outlaws. You go to Michigan and there's tree stands all over the place. Yeah. Some of them have been there for years and not hunted and you don't know. Right. Yeah. But what you don't see is you don't see them putting them in a you know, spot like right alongside the road or the, that spot where you got that one tree out in the cattails. Like I like to sit and, right. because if you put it there and you hunt there all the time, what's going to happen? Cause those guys are used to putting a tree stand up and that's their spot for the year. Right. And if they're a good hunter, maybe they have five spots or six. Right. Maybe a great hunter has 10, you know, in their eyes. Right. But they got these tree stands and they rotate through them. And if you watch that show, you notice that that guy that uh, ran into Joe and messed up his hunt and actually helped him to get the buck he got. Right. Yeah. I saw that. Because he, it had a move, but he couldn't, he couldn't leave. He had to go past Joe because that's my spot over there. That's my, you know, you know what I'm saying? Married to a spot. Go yeah, to stand. Exactly. So those little spots that, where I seem to excel on getting those big bucks that are kind of the um, stupid spots you don't want your friend to see in, but that's where the big bucks hide because nobody goes there. Yep. And they're really not getting hung over there in that, in that area we were in in Michigan. Right. Yeah. I mean, those stupid little spots, somebody's not going to do the work to put up a tree stand and then go on a regular basis and hunt those. Yeah. Yeah. I, it I, takes the whole mi- mobile mindset to do that because you go in there one and done because once they figure out that you're in that tree, that spot sucks. Yeah, you're 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 cooked at that point. I mean, that's one thing for me, you know, that uh and I've been following you for for years, you know, and I've had the pleasure of having you on a couple times and even shoot you some texts every now and then when I'm in the timber looking for some advice and you've always been hel- always been helpful. And this this year, you know, just me personally, it's like I felt like um was the year where, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you can think back in like your hunting your hunting life you know, do you remember ever there being like a year where it's like, it's like the light bulb filing clicked, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you've been grinding for years. Like I grew up hunting, right? It's like that. I grew up doing it since I was, you know, a kid, but the past, I would say probably three years, I really started like taking what I would consider like master's courses, right? Like really listening to guys like, you know, you know, like, like you and, um, you know, and uh, the guys in the beast forum and, and stuff like that. And, getting more of getting, I think getting more comfortable with getting aggressive, um, and then getting more mobile. And so every year it's been kind of like stepping stones toward that. Right. And then this year, um, you know, I've had the best, I haven't killed anything in PA yet. Um, but I've had the best encounters that I've had in Pennsylvania public land in years. Um, and really what it was is like, even when on my Iowa trip, I think I counted on that trip. It was all public land. I think in 15 days I had 11 different setups. You know, so I was basically going in in the morning hunting a set, 
you know, pulling my saddle out if I didn't see anything but like 10, 10 o'clock, if I didn't see anything, either one that I wanted to shoot or that I didn't see enough movement that I thought I would see, I'd pull my stuff, get down and I would scout until I found hot sign. And then I'd set up and then I would hunt that for the evening. If the wind was right for the next morning, I'd leave my stuff in the tree. I'd come back to it and hunt it the next morning. If I didn't see what I liked, I'd pull it and do it all over again. Um, and so I ended up hunting, I left in different setups in 15 days and I saw deer almost every sit. I saw them within bow range nearly every sit. And it was that classic first or second sit every sit. So I was getting that prime fresh movement. And it was the first year that I really had the confidence to like believe in myself to do that. So part of it is I want to say thank to you, thanks to you again, because it was you know a lot of what you talk about. I've finally been able to kind of implement the right way and see the fruits of fruits of that approach. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, I think at first um, a lot of people are kind of uh, shy of it because they get mixed signals. I mean, uh, I'm saying one thing and somebody else is saying another and stuff, but you really got to kind of try it and uh, experience it. And, and I think sometimes the first few times you do it, you end up in goofy trees and <laughs> if you're not used to um, um, setting up and, and tearing down on a continual basis, you have a hard time. You make some noise and stuff. Yeah. And if you don't get through that period, it don't click for you. Yeah. If you get through that period and you, and you just push through it, all of a sudden you just start seeing deer all the time. Yeah. But for me, I mean, I had to realize that too. Um, because you got to realize I've been doing this since I was a kid. I right. mean, before anybody even knew what mobile was. Right. I mean, I was running around with 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 screw steps with um, electrical tape on them so that they wouldn't clank, mm-hmm. and a giant metal stand with tape all over the chains and stuff to keep it quiet. That was my <laughs> mobile setup when I was a kid. <laughs> but I went in mobile. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I had kind of forgotten that whole learning curve of setting up. Because to me, I, I mean, I can throw a stand up and sticks silently. 75 yards from a bedded buck in minutes and, and not be detected. Right. Well, well, I think what it took for me was to hunt with a few people that are new to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you take a friend out or a young person or something and you watch them struggle trying to be quiet and stuff. If they haven't done it a lot. Yep. You start to realize that there's, there's a point there where they gotta, they gotta learn how to set up that stand and stuff too, and get in there quiet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you add a lot of variables. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, again, I finally had seen like the fruits of it like this year because I, I was kind of where what you're talking about last year. Like I knew the advantages of that approach, you know, and last year I was like, all right, I'm going all in on this. Like I got to I got to go all in. And I made some I made some mistakes, you know what I mean? Like being loud, like you're talking about getting into a stupid tree, you know sometimes setting up in the dark blind whenever I've not been to a property before or just walking in blind to a piece of public in the dark and like ending up in the wrong spot, you know, just some silly mistakes and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And then this year I really kind of focused on, you know, making sure my setup and my, my gear, I was all ready to roll with that. And I was slick getting in and out of the tree, did a lot of practicing during the summer because I knew it's like, if I could just, because what you start to do is you start to build anxiety because you're waiting to fail. You're waiting Mm -hmm. to screw up. Right. And right. then you, it shoots your confidence. And so much of what we do as a hunter, especially as a bow hunter, when you got to get close, it's like, you know, it's 
I've heard you say this before. It's like, if you don't think you're going to kill in that tree, like, what are you doing in the, tr- in the tree? You know, to right. me, if that's not the kill spot, why are you there? You know, and so right. going in with that mentality, even just mentally thinking when I walk in, like, I'm going to kill every set. You know what I mean? And like, it just changes your approach. It changes your focus. And then you, you're surprised how much more stealthy and mobile you can be whenever you have that, that focus intact. Right. And that to me was the, that, that to me was the difference was just almost like mentally making sure the focus was there to, to achieve those like mobile setups in a silent way that could, you know, put me in a position to see the deer I needed to see. So there's two, two stages to that. I mean, I think uh, you start to get good at doing that, but you're still second guessing. Oh, hundred percent. That's where I was last year. Then, then you've got to get to the point where, like you did on your Iowa hunt, where all of a sudden it's starting to roll and bucks are starting to come by, and then that confidence sets in, and then you get a little cocky about it, and you start getting good at it. Right. You know, and then you start you start believing in it. But there's always that if you if you don't have that first success, there's always that second guessing and questioning. Yeah, know? yeah, and that's one thing I think was the biggest difference for me this year was that. Um, I stopped second guessing myself because I, I don't know how many times last year, Dan, I walked past hot sign because I thought, mm, man, over, over this other ridge, it's probably better. You know what I mean? And then I got over the other ridge and it was like, yep, nope, that I should have, I should have set up where I like, should have set up three miles ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, yeah. th- this year was different to where it's like, as soon as I saw hot sign, if it made me stop and go, wow, like that was it. Like, I'm not thinking about going anywhere else. This is where I'm going to be. This is good. And trust in my gut. Um, and that, to me, was really the biggest difference this year, was just that confidence that you talked about. Um, it's important. I think it often gets forgot. But so you know, one last like I guess general question before we jump into our, our full blown topic here. But you know, when you're going back to that public land challenge again, like when you're showing up to a property blind, just you know, you've not set foot on it before. Maybe you got a little intel for some from some locals when you set, you know, when you got your feet on the ground in the States that you're going to be at and stuff like that, you know, what's your approach to trying to get on, get on deer, like, you know, scouting versus hunting versus looking at maps. Like how are you prioritizing your, your process and approach before you actually kind of bust into the timber or are you just like looking at a map and then putting boots on the ground? Uh, first thing I do is I study a map and I, I look for that little gem spot. That's a hidden spot over here or there where are these deer going to be in, in my eyes? Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for the overlooked spot that's got the the uh, terrain features that needs to hold box, but it's not where everybody's going to end up. Right. And um, I'm going to go and I'm going to look at look at that in a way of how am I going to scout that. And I'm going to look at the wind direction for the day. And if it's not right for that spot, I'm going to go hunt someplace else or scout someplace else until it is right. And I'm going to make sure the day I scout it is the day I hunt it. Mm-hmm. So when I go in there and I get my scent in there, that's the day I'm hunting it. Right. So I'm going in there and I'm catching that deer by surprise when he comes out. Not that I've walked through there the day before and set up a stand or or even just walk through. I just mm-hmm. want to try and make it fresh when I go in there. I want to get as close as I can to where I think those bucks are coming out so I get that daylight movement. Um, but I can usually look at a large property and pick out one or two or three spots and uh, move in on them. And, and if there's something big on that property, I'll either get eyes on it or when I'm going into those spots, I'll see the sign. Now, if I get in there and there's no sign or something or the signs lacking, you know, and I, I hit a spot or two like that, I'll just abandon that woods and go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not finding big buck sign, there's no big bucks there. Every right. big buck leaves rubs somewhere. Right. So you better be seeing high rubs. You better be seeing, you know, 
big tracks and you know if it's earlier in the season at least historical ones that are high up you know from years past right. so you know it's got a history of big bucks but i really want to see fresh sign because i want to know that this place ain't you know so overrun with hunters during gun season or something that every deer is dead you right. know that before it gets to that age class right so i want to find that sign but um i'm gonna go to those properties i'm gonna really quick you know get in the spots and if i can i'll go out early you know like um say midday go out at noon or something and you know or, or 11 o'clock in the morning and, and scout and find that spot and if it's signing there or say it's mediocre mm-hmm. i'll say okay well i'll set up right here but first I'm going to back on, I'm going to check something else. Cause I really don't like this. Mm-hmm. Either I'm going to abandon that spot altogether. Or I'm going to say, if I, I'm going to check another spot. And if that's worse, I'm coming back here. If it's better, I'm going there. And I don't mind burning a couple spots on a road trip like that. Cause you have so many days. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that's, that's kind of the way I play it, but I don't want to walk into an area and then come back later. Right. Right. And that's, that's interesting. You said that. And I think the important thing, you know, it, it just made me think of it when you said it was, you know, when you're going in to scout an area, like you're going in to scout it and then, you know, ideally you want to hunt it. And so you're looking at that wind, making sure that that wind is huntable for where you would anticipate Mm -hmm. setting up. And like, that's one of the things that, again, that was, that finally started clicking for me. And the deer that I killed, it was like, I think I text you when we were texting back and forth or messaging back and forth. It was like, I ran a, you know, I, I played that classic quartering wind where I was running that thing on a razor's edge and it was like, it was going to yep. be make or break. Like if they came where I thought they were going to come, like he was going to have all the confidence in the world and think he had the wind a hundred percent. And if the wind was shifty just a little bit, I was probably dead in the water, you know? Um, and that was the other thing that I paid a lot of attention to this year was, you know, I've, I hunted the, now I've had swirling winds where I got busted, where the a wind swirled on me at the last minute, you know what I mean? And I got, and got screwed or whatever, but you know, I, I can't necessarily help that all of us all the time, but I played the wind well this year that, and I really think that that was probably 75% of why I saw a lot more deer this year than I've seen in years past is I was just much more diligent on playing the wind. And if I didn't have the right wind for a spot in past years, I'd be like, well, I'm going to hunt it anyway and just risk it. And then this year I kind of was like, I, I was more diligent in the off season finding more setups on some public, um, or some just general areas that I might want to hunt. And, uh, and I would go to places and I just had enough places I could play the wind in every, in every situation. Um, you know, when you, you get to those mature bucks, they really, uh, they got that knack for, uh, once they know they're being hunted, you, you know what I mean? It's over. Yeah. Yeah. If you get that one crack, you really got to slip in the right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That one that I missed in Iowa, I caught back up with him, whatever it was, probably a mile and a half, maybe two miles from where I missed him the first time. Right. And he came out to 26 yards and I couldn't get a shot because he was staring in my direction. And I was sitting in this little draw at the head of this draw. And then there was like a little hump up onto this ridge where the draw goes down and the ridge kind of goes up and they both lead down to a lake. And he was popping out he popped out there and he came to the edge of that like little, that little rise at the, at the mouth of that draw and just stood there and stared. And like, it didn't dawn on me until, um, until after the hunt. Cause I just, I never got a shot. Like I was ready to draw. I just literally, you know what I was waiting for? I was waiting for like a squirrel to bark or like another deer to snap a twig behind him where he turned his head for a split second to give me a chance to draw. <laughs> and it was just like any other time, but that would happen. Right. Except in this particular instance, there was like no sound whatsoever. 
And he just backed away and walked away quietly, just turned around and walked the opposite way. And it wasn't until I got home to, to my, my cabin that night, and I was sitting there thinking about that. And I was like, he was a mature deer. This, this particular deer was, was four and a half, um, big-bodied deer. Um, and I was like, you know what? I was like, I, I knew he was living in that general area because all his sign was in that general area. And I was like, he knows how those thermals and how that wind swirls there. I was like, I guarantee you he stood at the, t- at the edge of that little lip was waiting for the wind swirl so he could scent check that area before he mm-hmm. made any any other move. I was like, yeah. because he never saw me. There was never any other reason for him to do that other than like he knows what the wind does in that exact spot, and he was waiting for the wind to kick up to give him a check of that whole area, and then he would decide whether or not he was going to move any further. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in years past, I would have never got there. I would have never seen that. I would have never put two and two together like that. And like, that's the cool thing about this yeah. year is like, I've started putting those pieces together. Right. I mean, most people see that happen mm-hmm. and they're like, well, luck of the draw. He turned around and walked away. They never really try to compute why. Right. And there's nothing, there's nothing a mature buck does on accident. Yeah. If you walk to that knob, there was a reason he walked there. Yep. And if he turned around, and went back where he came from, there was a reason for that. Right. So obviously he knew something was up or he would have kept going where he was going. Right. And so I ended up scouting that back end of that ridge. And that's ultimately where I ended up killing my deer um, was, was back there because I was like, there's a reason why he's headed back in there. And lo and behold, there were some beds back in there. And uh, I had a pretty slick setup on the edge of a ridge, man. It's almost like you wrote the script. Cause I killed my, my Ohio buck the same way I was on the edge of a ridge on the leeward side and uh and really what it was is you know i i i needed to play the wind and that was the where i could play the wind but i also wanted a barrier so deer couldn't get downwind of me and w- that ridge dropped into that draw and i knew if i could stay on the edge of that draw to play the wind the deer would not want to expose themselves in that draw because the draw was pretty open so they would at least stay up on the side high side of the ridge which would give me a shot opportunity in it at anything yeah. um and so i basically used the openness open terrain of the draw as my as my barrier knowing they would want to stay in cover and that's exactly how it exactly how it played out so it looks like i owe you two bottles of whiskey at this point now because i told you <laughs> i owed you one for the one in ohio and probably owe you uh owe you one for this one too but uh so let's move into, you know, the topic at topic at hand here. I know, you know, I mentioned you and I traded a few messages over the past week or two. And, you know, I, of course, chronicled the misses and the struggles that I had in the recent Iowa trip. Missed, missed the same deer twice. Um, you know, and around the same time, I believe you had had a few, you know, uh, struggles or encounters or things that just didn't kind of kind of break your way. And, you know, like we talked about at the top a little bit, like I realized that this is a topic that, you know, really isn't covered people talk about their successes and they want to talk about the grip and grin, right? And no one talks mm-hmm. about the missed shots or the failures and the things where they made silly mistakes. And we started talking about some of those just in general, just in setting up, even, you know, when you're going to new places and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I think the hunting media does a, does a, you can say a good or a bad job, whatever way you want to frame it of making sure they keep those failures to the, to the shadows, to a, to a degree. And, uh, you know, they, they show a lot of the grip and grins, but not necessarily how they got there. Even if they made a bad shot, there's never like the recovery of the bad shot and the struggle of finding the deer. It's always like, Hey, I shot the deer. Hey, here it is. Great. Great job. You know? Um, and I thought, you know, what better way to bring, you know, a dose of reality 
to to everyone and also just to let everyone know man that hey everybody's human right you know i thought a good way to do that would be to just to talk through our failures and overcoming adversity um you know and and let people kind of see behind the curtain a little bit you know to a guy like you who people have a lot of respect for that's known for killing big deer right um and just be able to kind of throw that out you know throw that out there and and, and humanize those failures so you know before we talk about overcoming obstacles specifically you know, I want to just say, ask in general, you know, what are some of your biggest missed opportunities, failures, obstacles, you know, whatever we want to want to call it that you've had in, in the deer woods, whether it's this year or whether it's been in years past. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the one that sticks in my mind is, uh, a, a giant, uh, typical 12 pointer. Um, I hunted in Iowa that, uh, um, came in and when he, uh, he didn't follow the script and walk past me like he was supposed to. He turned and walked straight onto me. I panicked and took a shot straight down between his shoulder blades mm-hmm. and uh, hit him in the spine and dropped him in his tracks. And I mean, we're talking a world class deer here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was flailing on the ground, and all I had to do was put another arrow in him. Mm-hmm. And I lowered my bow, and when my bow hit the ground next to him, he jumped to his feet and ran off, and I never recovered that deer. Wow. That one sticks with me and just burns me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's interesting. As you can imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a world-class one in, encounter. I mean, it was a good deer that I had an encounter with, but uh, and that, and it, that chapped my ass enough. I can't imagine it's something that's that, uh, of that, of that caliber. But you used a word that I think people would probably not equate with you, which I thought was an interesting choice of words, which was panic. Right. And it just kind of goes to show that, like, there are moments in time, no matter how long you've been doing this and how, you know, seasoned you are that whenever your plan doesn't play out, if you don't have control of the situation, totally, it's easy to slip into a a moment of like, what the hell do I do? Right. Yeah. Um, I guess talk to me a little bit, a little, a little bit about that. I mean, like, how do you, you know, I guess, let me ask it this way. Did you, once that happened, you know, did you dissect like that failure and like, you know, was there something in it that you could correct and did you attempt to correct it or, you know, how did you kind of manage, manage that? Well, if you you want to think about that, I mean, it wasn't long after that, like uh, a couple of years later, I shot the Rome legend buck Mm -hmm. and I hit it high and hit it in the spine and it dropped. And that thing got every arrow in my quiver <laughs> because I'm not having that happen again. Right. You know what I mean? I, I can have people laughing at me because the thing was full of arrows, but I was getting that buck right. and making sure that didn't happen again. And and really, that's what it's all about is correcting your errors. Mm-hmm. You know, you know um, everybody makes mistakes, mm-hmm. but if it starts to get to be the 10th time of the same mistake, you're an idiot. Right. You, you know, uh, you, you, we've all got the buddy who's, you know, his stand squeaked and he didn't get his buck. Right. Well, a week later, the same damn stand squeaks. Well, now you're an idiot. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. fix the problem. You, you know what I'm saying? So, and that's what it really is, is about learning from your mistakes. Um, but, you know, like you said before, the industry kind of, nobody wants to admit that they've got a flaw. They don't want to look like this perfect person, you know, in this uniform with all the patches on it and the stickers on their truck and they're, they're Mr. Great. Right. But they miss too. They just don't show you. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. And the trouble with that is, is you get these young people or new people into hunting. And when they look around, they think it's such a terrible thing 
to get a bad hit or a miss or something. And really, you know, it's not great. And it's right. going to bother you for a little bit. But rest assured, it happens to every single one of us. Yeah. If it hasn't, you haven't been hunting very long. Right. Yeah. 100%. You know, we, we're choosing we're choosing to take a weapon that's very hard to kill a deer with. I mean, you know, some people even go to a recurve, you know. But we, we're choosing a weapon that is difficult to kill a deer with. And then we're surprised when we, when we don't kill one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crap's going to happen, you know. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And then there's the emotional part too. I mean, um, I can't stand it when guys on the internet beat up on people because they make a mistake or they, yeah. they miss a deer or get a bad hit or something. Um, that video I, I just did recently of, um, a friend of mine who really doesn't hunt a lot, but he's a meat hunter and once a year or so he'll go out and get a deer. And he finally gets this giant buck in front of him and it's quartering away sharp and he takes a shot. Anybody would have took but he's shaking like a madman and hits six inches over and hits it in the, in the bucks because right. it's on a sharp quarter. Yep. And you just saw the mean comments about him yeah. shooting it in the ass. You know what I mean? It's like, really people? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you know, like, that, it wasn't that like that was people his, afraid uh, to admit it. Right. R- exactly. It's not like that was his intention. It's not like he didn't feel bad about that. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But people are just so mean. I mean, back when I was young, pe- people weren't like that because there weren't computers. Yeah. And if you went and said something like that, you get punched in the nose. <laughs> right. You know? Well, that and everyone wasn't trying to. computer screen. That and they weren't necessarily, they weren't aware of what so-and-so was, was doing. And they, they didn't have this picture of like everyone being this like, you know, apex predator when they walk into the woods. Because that's what everyone thinks that they, thinks that they are. Right. I, I, I think right. part of it too, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think part of it too is, is like when you look at archery equipment, because to your point, it's like we're making a choice to take in. Um, especially if you're using a trad bow, like you're, you're, you're really using primitive equipment, but we're taking something in the timber that we know is more challenging, right. To, to, to get it done. And that's part of what we, what we like is the challenge, you know, challenging ourselves. I think part of it too is, is that, you know, people want to be able to shoot these long distances. They see guys like, look, and I think Cameron Haynes is a nice guy and, 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 and whatever. Right. But like the dude shoots his bow religiously and can drop dimes from like 80 to a hundred yards away. Right. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's like, he's an exception when it comes to shooting or like a John Dudley, like a guy who is like a world-class right. archer. You know what I mean? Um, I have a buddy of mine here. That's a, a beast guy, you know, Greg Litzinger, like the guy shoots competition archery year round, or at least, you know, in the off season and can just, and can fling it. Right. And he won't take a shot at a deer in the timber probably over 40 yards. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and if he's not willing to take that shot, I shoot pretty often. I'm probably not fit to take that shot either. You know what I mean? Like, And I think people get a false sense of shooting foam of what their capable kill range really is. And mm-hmm. so they start to set themselves up for failure because they're, again, comparing themselves to stuff that they see on the Internet. And when someone posts like, hey, man, shot three arrows all dialed in, all triple X's, it's like, yeah, but they shot 50 arrows and those are the only three that hit there. Right. Well, it's not only that too. I mean, I, I can hit a target at uh, 40 or 50 yards, Yep. but a deer's a whole different story. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I've had uh deer move before the arrow gets there and you, you hit it a foot from where you're aiming when you're sticking those longer distances. Yep. You know, exactly. Um, arrows aren't like rifle bullets or you're going a certain speed. Yep. So, you know, 
so so going on to the next like the next question i think we started kind of diving in into this a little bit you know why do you think people avoid talking about failures and, and challenges because to me personally and i just learned this firsthand on this trip was like overcoming those obstacles is in my opinion is where like the real interesting human stories are it makes the experience relatable mm -hmm. it makes it human you know, it makes it a, a comeback, a perseverance story. Like to me, like that's like where the interesting stuff is. Like to me, I went to the woods, I had supreme success. It was really easy and I killed a deer. Like that's not interesting to me. Like the struggle mm -hmm. and the human element of it to me is like the thing that makes it cool. Um, why do you think people want to avoid like the idea of their failures and their obstacles and stuff like that? Is it, is it like ego protection or what, what do you think it is? I think it's two things. I think one of the ego that you don't want to admit failure. And the other thing is that you're afraid of being beat up by people um, for for saying bad things. I mean, um, I've been doing this many years, and I can't stand listening to people uh, say I'm a horrible person because I missed a shot or hit one bad or, or something like that. So I, I can see other people not wanting to say that either. Right. But on the other hand, me personally, um, I'm about educating and I'm about the um, – the adventure of hunting and, and really the adventure of hunting is the chase, not the kill. Right. So it's a, you know, hunting is a long series of failures and suddenly you get a success. Mm -hmm. You know, are you ever, you, you know, how many hunts do you go in where you're not in the right stand? You're not in the right position. The deer doesn't come through that day and you're hopping around. They're all little failures. Yeah. But it's a bigger failure, obviously, when a deer does show up and does everything it's supposed to, and you don't perform. Right. But, you know, I think, too, I mean, when I look back at myself, if I'm completely honest, when I was younger, I got mad when I, I'd miss a deer. I'd get angry and mm -hmm. pissed off, and I see that in a lot of other people, and I tell them not to be that way. But I was like that when I was younger, and I think a lot of um, me being okay with that is killing a lot of deer over the years where right. <laughs> it doesn't matter that much to me if I put another one on the wall. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that we still got to remember a guy that, you know, never shot a big buck or, or, you know, maybe he stumbled into one with his gun and he really wants to get one with his bow. He's still trying to prove that he can do it right. to himself and to everybody else. And when he fails, it's a much bigger deal than when I fail and I'm, laughing at the thing when it's running away going, ah, you got me this time, you know, <laughs> where that guy's throwing his bow at him and he's storming home and not hunting for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Now, we, look, look I'm not going to lie. Like when I missed, I was pretty pissed off. Not, not going <clears> to, <throat> not going to sugarcoat it. Um, in fact, you know what, I, I was more mad at me. Well, that's just it. That's just it. Like I was, I was upset and disappointed with myself because for a couple reasons, one, because I shoot my bow religiously and I make that shot nine out of 10 times. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, it, it, it is what it is. And like, so I was disappointed in the fact that, you know, it came crunch time and I, and I fell apart. Right. And that's on, that's on me. Um, you know, and I was upset about it. I literally got back to the truck and once I shut the door, I had like a, a, a it's like I had a flashback back to the nineties and had a primal scream in the truck. <laughs> like he just like yelled for a few minutes and like got it out, out of my system. Um, and then just tried to get down to brass tacks and focus on, you know, what I did wrong and like how I was going to, how I was going to fix it. I think, you know, and I said this before, it's like the thing that really upset me about it was like, I beat that deer. Like I read a sign, I figured out where it was at. I set up exactly where I needed to be and I just didn't complete the last, the last step of it. And I think what you said is important is that 
I think sometimes like we 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 grade success like incorrectly, right? Like because I'm I'm similar to you. It's like I enjoy the adventure and the chase. It's you know people will ask me why do you always hunt different places and you never go back to the same place to hunt after you kind of learn a property. And I'm like, I just like to see what's around the next bend and what's across the next ridge. You know, I was like, that's right. just how I am. I was like, and that's, you know, yeah, I could go hunt the same place over and over again, but I could, I'll, I'll get the same experience over and over again. And that's not what I'm looking for. Um, and so I'd rather go fail and learn than go somewhere where I know I have set up success for myself. Um, right. You know, and so with that, it's like I had to start thinking about it differently because I was willfully walking into scenarios where I was putting myself behind the eight ball a lot of times. And so I had to start looking at it like if I beat that deer and he didn't know I was there and I got him in range and there was a piece of brush in the way and I couldn't take the shot, like I actually won. I beat him. That was success. I outsmarted a really smart animal on their terms. Right. And and if it would have been any other, you know, situation where they were standing, they would have had an arrow in them. And so I started kind of looking at it that way, and that ultimately really helped like my growth because I started taking those wins and stacking wins on top of them, each other and building confidence that way. Um, and that was just kind of mentally how I tricked myself in, into, into, you know, managing failure and using them as building blocks. Mm. So, so now if you've been watching me, I've, um, I missed three deer in a row. Right. Which, uh, just blows my mind. Right. I'm split. I'm splitting hairs on the target in my yard. Yep. When I get wearing the same clothes, getting up elevated and stuff. And the part that's frustrating for me isn't really the misses or the deer getting away or anything. I'm having a blast out there. Right. But it's the fact that I'm so used to when something goes wrong, I analyze it and correct it, and I can't figure out why. Right. Yeah. You know, what am I doing? You know, you know that's causing this because something's causing it. Yeah. You know, but uh, I get in the target, and when I'm, you know, there's no deer there, and I'm <laughs> in the same dress right. i'm splitting hairs so that yeah. that's a frustrating thing yeah no I, I i totally hear you hear you there um you know there's the j- being able to what, not what put your me finger is to on just it. go out there and, and get back on the on the horse and go kill something even if it's a doe or something just go out there and do it and get your confidence back yeah. you know um if you're going out there with no confidence you'll blow it i think some guys got to just Maybe they do got to take a couple of days off if they're that frustrated. Right. Just go go home, shoot a target a few times, just take a few days off, go out with your wife, mm-hmm. you know, and then when you settle back down and you kind of forget about it, go back at it. Right. Um, some yeah. people need that, you know, because yeah. no, um, th- if you keep going out there frustrated, you're just going to keep that frustration is going to get you. You're going to, you know, if you want it too bad, that's when you fail. Yeah. No, and, I- and case in point, I mean, um, now, I don't think in, in the last five years I think I can remember one doe I wanted to kill that I that I that I missed. Mm-hmm. When a doe comes in, if I want it dead, it's dead. Yep. Now why ain't I doing that with a buck? Yeah. Well, there's got to be something with I'm trying to push the limit. Like I'm afraid it's going to get away or something. Right. But then there there again now I I'm I'm analyzing something. I'm coming up with uh, something being wrong, something I can fix. And at least if I I. I even if it's perceived, if I think I'm fixing something that keeps that confidence up, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? If it, gives, if it gives me something to strive for, but, but if you sit in there and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, that's hard to fix. Right. No, that's, 
you know, and it does, I mean, I think the important thing you said there was like perceived, right? Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to get your confidence back no matter how, how it works. Right. Like if you're talking football, if you're talking football, right. And a quarterback struggling, well, what do they do? They give a quarterback a bunch of easy dump off passes to kind of build him some confidence because he didn't all of a sudden forget how to throw the football. You know what I mean? Like he still knows how to do it. You got to get him some stuff just to get him in a rhythm. And like, I had the same thing where I literally took the next morning off after I missed, I got up and I shot my bow. I missed the second time, like three days later, I ended up, this will be a little new agey. You might not be into this, but I ended up like taking that next morning off after that. And I got up, I did some yoga. I tried to like get Zen and clear my mind and get rid of the, the trash I went outside and I shot and I had a bunch of arrows with me and I had them all numbered because I shot them all before I left and kind of, you know, which ones were flying the best and stuff like that. And I went outside and I just took a bunch of arrows and I started shooting and anything that landed outside of like my area of acceptability got tossed. And then I kept the three arrows that I shot consistently. Now, whether those arrows truly flew better than any of the other arrows or not, I don't know. Right. But my perception was those three arrows were the arrows. And I literally, that, like I went out and hunted that evening and then, and I killed with one of those arrows, you know, and I was just, I remember leaving and getting in the truck going, let's go kill this deer. Now I got my shit together. I'm ready, you know, and it was just confidence was all it was, you know, and I kind of tricked myself into it a little bit. Yeah. So, what do we got to do? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. In my case, it was, <laughs> it was do some yoga, light some incense. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, so I know, I know your season's not over yet, you know, but you know, you're still grinding and you'll grind to the, to the bitter end. I know you will. Um, you know, well, hold on, before we get to here, I want to back up and, and touch on something that you'd mentioned. Cause I think it's really, really important. It's something I see is something I need to do more of. Cause as I was analyzing the misses and stuff like that, like, I feel like I would love to get your two cents on this, your perspective, but I was telling my buddy John after I had those misses and I killed that deer and I was analyzing like why I thought that I missed. Because to your point, it's like I shoot, I shoot the hell out of foam. You know what I mean? My yard, I'm a good shot. I shoot a lot. Mm-hmm. I get on a buck and I, I started to fall apart on this trip. And what I had said to him was, was that, you know, last year I passed some bucks in Ohio and I didn't shoot one in, in Pennsylvania and I ended up shooting one doe. And the year before I passed a bunch of deer and didn't shoot anything anywhere. Um, and what I had said was, I was like, I've literally released one arrow at a live target in two, in two years and killed it. But I only released one arrow on a live target in two years. Mm -hmm. I was like, and then I was expecting to come to Iowa where the caliber of deer that I'm going to see is much different than the caliber of deer that I see in Pennsylvania and I'm expecting myself to keep my stuff together and execute shots without, you know, having a lot of live target action. And yeah. I was like, I need to, I was like, I need to just get better at like ground checking some does during the course of the season, whether it's early or late, just to get pins on live targets and execute shots in live scenarios. And what do you, what do you like, what's your take on that, that approach? Yeah, I think, um, the more deer I kill, the more in tune I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of the reason I became a good killer when I was younger is because I killed a lot of deer. Right. I shot a lot of does and, uh, um, I don't shoot as much anymore and, and maybe that is part of it with me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you know, and especially newer people into this, I mean, you've been around the block a few times, right? but there's guys listening to this who shot one or two deer in their life and they're going to go out and they're going to try and shoot some giant. 
we're going to go to Iowa on some trip or whatever. And, and I'll tell you what, the time to learn when to shoot the biggest buck of your life isn't when the biggest buck of your life walks out. Right. You need to kill some deer. <laughs> right. Um, it, you know, it's a whole different ball game when a five and a half or six and a half year old deer walks out than, than that, uh, doe or button buck you shot back home, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, it is. It just, yeah. it really is. I mean, I've noticed that those big bucks, when they come in, you got to get an arrow on them pretty quick or, yeah. I mean, they're so in tune that they figure you out, especially yeah. in this public land and stuff. I mean, I haven't shot a deer in years on public land. that doesn't have a broadhead in it somewhere or a bullet hole in it or an arrow, a hole through its ear or something. Right. You know, they've been, they've been shot. They've been wounded. They're all limping around. I mean, there's a lot of pressure out here. It's a miracle they've even lived to that age. And then you want to try and get an arrow in that thing when it comes in, you know, one squeak, one movement, one anything, they're on the ball. And and when you try to get that bull back and stuff, and you just got to get used to killing deer before that thing walks in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and so that's where I'm at this year. So I still have a PA buck tag, and I'm gonna try to fill it, you know. But I also told myself I was like, hey, like it's swallow your pride here, you know. And you know we're killing deer. Like we're not killing bucks like the rest of this year. We're killing deer, like because mm-hmm. we gotta we gotta get the we gotta get the mojo going. Like we gotta make it automatic to where when we get on live targets, you know that we're that we're good that we're good to go. You know, it's it's simple things. I think you hit on a bunch of them. Like, you know, your stand making noise. Like you gotta work out all those kinks, and it's even like your draw cycle, right? Like figuring out like when's the opportune time to draw. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. as soon as you see the deer. You don't want to be holding draw for three minutes, right? And so you got to pick that yeah. right time to where they're not going to see it, but you can get drawn back comfortably, but you got enough time to settle your pin. Like, so there's a lot of things that kind of go into it. And like, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those sports where you just can't replicate the live thing, you know, um, or it's really hard to replicate the live thing to, to get those reps in. So, right. so on to the, the next question, like I was starting to say is like, I know, you know, your season's not quite over yet you know, you'll, you'll continue to push and, 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 and try to get it done. But at this point, you know, what's the one thing Dan Enfault, you know, wants to be better at as a hunter or just as a, as a person in general in the hunting, in the hunting world at this moment? Uh, Hitting you with the heavy stuff, man. The heavy stuff. Huh? <laughs> I mean, I mean, the lighter stuff is I'd like to be a better shot. Right. I've always had um, issue shooting. I've never been a great shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, if it's my eyesight or what, but I've never been a great shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe I need some coaching or something. But uh, anywho, uh, on the other front, it'd probably be, you know, I always strive to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I think I do pretty good at that nowadays, mm-hmm. but I haven't always. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah. I'm I'm just uh, at the point I'm at right now. I'm just loving life and running around chasing critters and stuff. I think if there's one thing I could do right now, I'd like to get out of the the uh, nine to five job, right? You know, the, the the working man thing and get into the hunting full time. Yeah, um, it started to get monotonous. I'm, yeah. I, it's like I'm doing two full time jobs now. Right, <laughs> maybe it's time to leave one of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's time to maybe retire from one of them. Well, I think, you know, if, if, if we could have you full time in the hunting world, I think uh, we'd be a better place for it. Cause I think you're a good spokesman for us. I think that, you know, you're of course a wealth, wealth of knowledge and, and, and all those things, but I think you represent us in the right way. And I think you kind of know the, the working guy, the normal guy, right? Like that, that kind mm-hmm. of, a, that kind of approach, which I think, you know, that voice oftentimes gets, 
drowned out. I like to say like a lot of times when you see, you know, pictures or content or whatever, it's like, eh, I joke with my buddies. I'm like, hunting's turning into NASCAR. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like someone kills a deer and it's like, Hey, I want to thank, you know, this, 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 and this. And it's like, they look <laughs> like they've got like, you know, it, they're drinking their, like their Coke, they're on the, you know, their Coca-Cola cause that's their sponsor, like during their interview or whatever, you know, it's like, I was like, I feel like it's turning into that a little bit and losing some of the, like the humanity of it a little, a little bit, um, you know, which you know, like I'm painting with a broad brush here. And so I know not everyone is like that, but sometimes like what you see on social kind of starts to paint that picture a little bit, which is, uh, makes me cringe just a little bit. But, uh, yeah. you know, what, uh, what advice would you have for someone out there that's listening to this podcast? Right. And so maybe they had some struggles that are similar to what you and I had, you know, this season, maybe they're struggling with their shot. Maybe they're struggling getting on deer, Maybe they're struggling just getting set up, you know what I mean? Like they're just having a, a, a bad run or maybe they had a bad shot like your, like your buddy, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, just having a tough season in general. Like what would your advice be to them, you know, if you, ca- if you no, had like five minutes my, with them? My biggest advice would be to just take a step back and instead of focusing on your blunders, your errors, or, or whatever's bothering you, just think about why you're hunting. And think about those who can't get out there. Mm-hmm. Who wish they could, you know, you're living the life you're out there chasing deer around. What more can you ask for? Mm-hmm. I mean, just getting the deer is just a bonus. Yeah. So, I mean, if you really, if you really can just focus on having fun, once you start really enjoying what you're doing and it doesn't matter, trust me, they'll start dropping like flies. Yeah. It's yeah. The, it, the more, the more you struggle, the more you struggle. Yeah. It's like, if you get frustrated, you're going to start, it's going to cause you to make more mistakes you got to be in tune with what you're doing out there. Yeah. So you really got to be just in a happy, good mood. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I say if a guy's really frustrated, he should probably just step back and take a couple of days off. Right. It's just hunting. And the big thing is, too, is everybody thinks that they've got something to prove. It's like they don't feel like they're a real hunter until they got one or two on the wall. Right. But in, in, in reality, I mean, i got great hunting friends that I've, I've known for years and really I can't even remember if they've ever shot a big buck or if they did or didn't in their eyes, they probably think I'm judging them by that. I could care less. I care about the person and anybody that's judging you by what you shot is an idiot. What are you hanging with them for? Right. So, you you know, my point is people don't really care what you shot. You're the only one that cares. Right. And if they do care, if they do care, then you, then you need to find different people. (laughs) Right. And and honestly, I mean, I know you, I don't remember what you shot last year. You remember what I shot last year? No, <laughs> exactly. Who cares, right? Yeah. Right? Who yeah. cares? Yeah. You, you know, we're both good hunters. We, 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 we're both in the same mindset, the same talking. That's all that matters. Right. And nobody really cares what you shot or what you didn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So if you come home without a buck, who cares? Yeah. Just go out there and enjoy the ride. And if you start doing that, trust me, it'll start dropping. Yeah, no, I, 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 agree, I agree with you. You just got to have fun with it. Yeah. I think the one thing you mentioned, man, I think that's really important is, is the perspective, right? Is just keep perspective. And like, and, and I got one last question I want to ask you, but before I do that, I, and I failed to mention this in the last podcast that, that, that I did talking about the, the Iowa hunt. Um, and I wanted to share it with you cause I thought it was just kind of interesting. Cause I know like, you know, I always appreciate your approach to things and you're a stand up guy and, you know, and you, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about in the past, like you're, when you were younger, you know, your, 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 
yourself now being much older and, and wiser maybe would have done things differently through your hunting life, right? And maybe prioritize things a little bit differently. I've heard you talk about that. And so I try to keep, mm -hmm. I try to keep that in mind whenever I'm going through some of these things. And so I distinctly remember after I missed that second time and I was pretty pissed off about it and was trying to figure out how to, how do I overcome this? How to mitigate it? How do I, you know, break through this obstacle and manage it? And I was really kind of beating myself up over it. Right. And I'm sitting, you know, in my tree and, I was trying to figure out a way to reconcile it and I'm sitting there and I thought to myself, I was like, and, and this is, you know, for everyone out there that's a parent, like can probably relate to this. I was sitting and I thought to myself, if my daughter was having a, a challenge with something that she was just struggling with, right. And she loved it. And she was, and I, and I was watching her struggle with it. Right. And she was having that look of like wanting to give in, wanting to cave. Right. What would I tell her? Like, what would my advice to her be? And when I was thinking about it, I was like, honey, you just got to get up and you got to chop wood. Like, you just got to keep doing it. Like, it's going to get better. Mm -hmm. You just got to keep stacking the wins on top of the small wins. And eventually there's success at the, at the other end. And so I thought to myself, you know, it's funny how kids have this impact on you. But if I want to be, you know, the father to her that I want to be and I want to be the man that I want to be that she looks up to, then I have no other option than to take my own advice and do exactly what I would tell her, which would be take a minute, think about what happened, be upset about it because that emotion is real and it's okay. And pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Don't give a shit about what other people are going to think about you or what they're going to say about you because it's not going to matter in, in, in 30 days or even less. And just keep doing what you love doing. And if you do those yeah. things, you're going to win. And that's exactly what yeah. I did. And that was, I think a little bit, it was a watershed moment as a hunter for me. Um, I also think it was a watershed moment as a man for me too, to be honest. And that's what I love about the outdoors, not to get sappy and, and, and emotional, but like, that's to me is like, that's the beauty of the outdoors is that like, I learned that lesson in a tree. Yeah. You know, so, you know, in, in, in this world, everybody with their phones and all that crap, I mean, I think they, you, you know, they're, they almost like they're with people when they're hunting, mm -hmm. but really hunting alone is between you and nature and, uh, especially bow hunting. Yeah. I mean, it's, who cares what anybody thinks yeah. really? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know? Yeah. So one last question, I, I kind of forewarned you with this one. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a loaded one. It's a simple question, but with a, a very complex answer. It's like I, I usually save this for, you know, special guests, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, you know, we always talk about a lot of reasons why we hunt, right? There's a, there's a plethora of them, you know, and, and there's no right or wrong, you know, answer. It's a really simple question, you know, why do we hunt? But the answer is usually very nuanced. And I always think that it's important that we examine this because, you know, people have all different reasons as to why they hunt. And I think we should celebrate all of them. Right. And I think it's really cool to kind of give everyone different perspectives of why different people hunt. They have different reasons for why they hunt and different approaches. And, and I think it's important, especially maybe for newer hunters to start to identify and, and start to see like, you know, what those intrinsic reasons are that aren't, you know, that aren't fashionable, that aren't social media worthy, like the things that are a little deeper. And so I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you that, you know, why does Dan Enfold hunt? 
Well, um, well, let me answer that by first asking you a question. Sure. Um, why does my cat have a full bowl of food and it doesn't have to hunt at all and it chases mice? And why do wolves chase deer? It's the way right. God made me. It's my instinct. It's in my uh, DNA. Yeah. I was I was born to chase animals. It's in me. I, I have a desire to do it. I I think I belong more in the nature than I do in the city. I feel out of place in town. I feel out of place with people, mm-hmm. um, except for close friends. And but I feel um, in tune in the woods. I mean, you go out hunting with other people, and uh, you can tell when somebody doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. You're fumbling around, or lost, or checking their phone to get in and out of the woods, and and it's like I belong there. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I belong, you know. And uh, um, I'm just having fun chasing things around the way God meant it to be. Yeah, it's a great answer, man. I love that. It's it's it's, it's interesting because it's been something that I've examined. Like I've been thinking about. I've probably been thinking about it for like a year or two. You know, uh, just about the different reasons why I hunt and trying to. You know, because to me, it's like it's one of those things where it's like I know like just kind of how you articulated it. Right. It's like I know what it is, but I have a hard time articulating the reasons why I hunt. And so I kind of selfishly ask this question in podcasts because I'm trying to like hear the way other people understand yourself. Yeah, yeah, it, Mm -hmm. it truly is. And like and I think that's the beauty of hunting is that it's an evolution. Like it's like what I am today is not what I'm going to be in 10 years necessarily. You know, yeah, um, and it's like, I think that's the beautiful part of it. And, uh, and so, you know, maybe I should stop trying to answer it. Right. Maybe it's yeah. uh, not meant to be answered. Now we're getting deep, man. <laughs> there, there used to be, um, there used to be this, uh, lady that was kind of an anti-hunter who, uh, used to work with me and, uh, she would always have snarky comments at me and stuff, but she had to be nice because we worked together. Right. And, uh, one day she was saying to me, how could you kill animals? I love animals. She has like the save the wolf stickers on her truck and stuff or, or you know, a little mini green car or whatever. But anywho, uh, I looked at her and I said, uh, you love wolves, don't you? They hunt. I said, what you hate isn't, isn't hunting. You hate people. You hate me because I like hunting. Right. Because you love wolves. You love hawks. You love eagles. They all hunt. That's how they exist. Yep. Like God made us. Yep. I'm just doing what God made me, put me here to do. And, you know, then their comment is always that, uh, well, you got all the food you want and that kind of thing. Well, that ain't what I was intended to do. I've got canine teeth. Right. I've got eyes forward like a predator. Yep. I was put on earth to hunt deer, not to go to a supermarket and pay somebody else to kill my stuff. Right. You know, I'll never knock anybody for going to a game farm or, or, uh, you know, doing a canned hunt or something like that, as long as it's, you know, somewhat fair. I mean, they're, they're buying an animal. Right. As long as they're honest about it. Yep. You know, if they're lying about it or something, then I'd probably have a problem with it. Right. But really, it's, you, you know, we're out there to harvest food, but because we got all the food we want, we've turned it into maybe into trophy hunting. But it's still, it's in our hearts, it's in our uh, DNA. I mean, that's, a true hunter is, isn't out there to impress his friends. He isn't out there because, well, my brother hunts and I want to be closer to my brother. He's out there because that's where he wants to be. 
Right. And uh, it shouldn't have anything to do with what anybody else thinks or, or even if you're successful because uh, we've all got a freezer stock full of food. If we can afford a bowl, we're probably not homeless. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can afford to eat. We're out there to just have fun. And, uh, yeah. It does get a little deep, don't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I think they, I think, uh, I think I'm going to go do some yoga and light some. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, with that, man, it's like I won't take up, uh, any more of your time, brother. I, I appreciate you coming on here before I let you go. Um, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about you, where they can find out more about beast gear, the forum, all those good things. Well, we got the, the website forum, um, which has a lot of, uh, tactical information on there. If you dig around, mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, the hunting beast.com. Um, and then I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, a lot of people just follow me as Dan Infold, but I've also got, uh, the hunt beast forum and the hunt beast page. Um, but the big thing that attracts everybody right now and the big thing going on is the YouTube page. Mm-hmm. Um, get some really good stuff in there. And if you dig through the archives, there's some really good old stuff. Awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the Beast Forum and uh, the Beast uh, Facebook Forum is probably responsible for more deer being killed than any one piece, any one area of information that you could possibly find online or, or, or elsewhere. So if you're a person out there listening that wants to try to get, you know, more mobile um, and hunt more aggressively and just and hunt smarter, um, have better encounters, it's a great place to go to get information. All the guys, you know, that are on that forum are super helpful. No one will turn you away. Um, everyone there is, is good to each other. It's actually one of the most civil places that you'll find online to talk hunting, uh, as with that, with this particular group of people, um, Dan curates it and he doesn't suffer fools. So you can rest assured that you'll, you'll be treated fairly and well, um, in his home. So brother, I appreciate you coming on, man. I always, always like to get you on and and hear your insights and, and just talk deer hunting with you, man. And just, and just talk life in general, man. You're, you're good people. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate everything you've done for me personally, as far as a, a hunter goes. Um, and then just, you know, just personally, man, being able to have these conversations and, and talk a lot about a little more than, than deer hunting. Um, you're a gem, man, and I'm glad we have you. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, folks, that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see you all. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.